This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Welcome back. This is Catherine Klein on Dollars and Change. And I'm Nick Ashburn. And we're, we get to bop to the music just for a, a moment. Thank you, Dion. Uh, so in this segment, we're going to talk with Ali Svensson, co-founder of Mod Pizza. Mod Pizza has over 200 stores around the country. I got to say, I don't think I've ever been to one of them. They're not right in Philadelphia yet, but man, do I want to go. Uh, a, a fast, casual pizza restaurant that has a strong mission for good. It's growing. The company has won all sorts of awards, growing fast, and is really one of these companies that is integrating uh, purpose strongly into its mission. So uh, we'll be digging into how you do that and why you do that. So, uh, Allie, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Great to have you with us. Now, you came, you know, pre-Mod uh, Pizza, you were uh, you and your husband founded the Seattle Coffee Company, which was uh, ultimately uh, uh, became or sold to Starbucks and became Starbucks. So you had this this entrepreneurial success and a, a, a um, in, in your prior business. Why did you do? Why did you start over again and do uh, you know like that wasn't enough? You you, you needed <laughs> to make pizzas too. Well, um, probably an important clarification is to make the, to say that the um, our coffee company we we built that in the UK, and the reason we built that in the UK, and this is going all the way back to um, wait a minute, I'm a little confused. The the Seattle coffee company was built yes. in the UK. Yes. Okay. We didn't want to call it that either. We're from Seattle, but we were living over in London for years, and um, at the time, ninety early nineties, uh, there was no Seattle style, otherwise known as Starbucks style coffee anywhere in the United Kingdom, which was just shocking to us. And in fact, so much so that it took us three years to actually believe it. You know, you keep looking for, well, where is the great coffee bar? They must they must have it all figured out. It's oh, London I'm sure it was more tea at that point, huh? Yeah. Oh, well, you know, the interesting thing is no, there was the coffee. We When we started to look into it and, and look at the numbers, we thought, well, we don't, it's not even about converting a tea drinker. It's that the majority of the coffee drinkers, 90 plus percent, were consuming instant really bad coffee, the, the granule instant coffee. Yeah. It w- Those so, brands that shall not be named. <laughs> yes, right. But, it, but so at the time, we had no, it, we didn't go over there to start a business. Um, Scott, my husband, was, was, you know, had a great career going there, and, and I ended up getting a, an awesome job that I loved as well. But we were from Seattle, and, and truly, on the first day of landing, you know, I was looking for where will I go to get my double tall skinny latte? And <laughs> the search started that I, I had no idea it would take like three years. And, and we did. We found the cool places for, you know, the, the, uh, there were a couple of really good Italian coffee bars in Soho there, but you couldn't get, they were one size, little polystyrene cup. You could not get an extra shot. You could not customize it. Nobody was nice to you when they were making it. You know, you, it, it was not the Seattle style of coffee offering at, at all. Yeah. And, and so we just kind of started this this search, which then became an obsession, and we kept hearing that Starbucks was coming. In fact, I called them at one point because I love them, and they're you know from my hometown. And they said, "Get in line. We're going. You know, we get frustrated ex- expats all around the world. Just get in line." I think when I lived in Germany, I called mm. them and was like, "Hey, where See? where is this? Come on!" Yes, and so it might have been your call that <laughs> made them say, "Get in line," because we, they're getting calls all the time. And and so it was. We had no intention of starting a business, but the important point of it is that it got to the point where we we became so desperate and and we felt the need was so 
big, but more importantly, you know, um, um, it was a need for us. And it was very, you know, in some ways self-serving. We just thought this, we love everything about living in the UK. We really do. But until we can get coffee done this way in this type of an atmosphere, there's something incomplete. It's not whole. And and so we, we went, it was kind of one of the, you know, quintessential little entrepreneurial stories where we didn't even know we were being entrepreneurial. You know, one person who had made some more money, Scott, was making it a much more you know, lucrative job. So I quit my job, you know, working in our little basement. We just started from scratch, and we worked all day long, all weekends, all night, um, and, and opened one little 300-square-foot coffee place and figured it out. And you know, in hindsight, we, we were, we well, we, we worked so hard, but we were also quite lucky with the timing. You know, the, the um, Sleepless in Seattle had just come out, um, bookstore cafes through Friends and all that, all that stuff was starting to become something. And people were traveling and they were experiencing Starbucks in the U.S. And so when we opened that funky little completely flawed coffee shop in 96, 90, 95, I guess, and uh, it just, it just, went crazy and and the need and the, the the void in the market was so big and so we grew it very quickly to um 60 we had over 65 units in the uk when wow. we sold to starbucks in 98 yeah which allowed us to come home which was wonderful and, and we, we it was a fun thing scott stayed on um helping them architect their european plans and we, we integrated with starbucks for a couple of years and changed over all of ours but that experience was really, really important to us because we thought it was a one-shot wonder deal because the, the, the need was so huge and it was just staring us in the face. And we thought, well, that will never happen again, especially now we've moved back to Seattle. I mean, the place is full of innovation and things are being created in America all the time. Luckily, now we get to sit back while everybody else works their buns off and creates all these things that we can be users of because, you know, we've done it and we know how hard it is. Um, and, and it was something that was so needed. So we didn't plan on doing another, we didn't plan on starting something again. Um, but a couple of years home, we, um, you know, our, our fourth son arrived. And before you know it, you're driving the big car around. And, and we were on a Saturday going in between practices, and they had friends in the car. And we started this broken record, frustrating weekend search for how are we going to feed everybody? We've got 20 minutes for this guy. We've got 40 minutes afterwards. What are they going to eat? What do they want? What are we going to eat? What do we want? It's always going to be compromised. If we get what they want, it's going to be fast food. We're not going to want to eat. We're going to feel badly that we're feeding the kids that. We'll have to eat later. Or if we splurge and get what we want right now. So what was the solution? The solution was fast. Well, fast casual was starting Yeah. Um, with Chipotle. Uh, you know, fast casual was really growing, but there was no other, we couldn't find any other fast casual solution that was suiting our family on a regular basis. And and we had spent a lot of time in Italy when we lived in London, and so that the you know the thin, yummy pizza that's fresh and easy and healthy, um, combined with the fact that we'd seen pizza's been around forever on both ends of the spectrum, the cheap delivery stuff, and then the very high-end gourmet, yummy things that are expensive. So we started to have those deja vu moments of wait, this is feeling like it did in London all those years ago. Interesting, yeah, thing. yeah. And so we knew very quickly. We didn't wait three years because we had learned something from hmm. that first run. That mm-hmm. if your gut tells you this, you would use it, then somebody else probably would. So we did the we, you know, same sort of deal. We got one open in in Seattle in 2008 to kind of use it as a laboratory and um, and and see if people would eat pizza at lunch, if women would eat pizza at lunch, if if we could get a lot of people through the line quickly. Um, if it really could be fast, all those things. And, um, and that was in 2008, and, and we opened a few other locations in a short stint of time. Um, you know, Scott always said, let's try to fail fast because we need to know 
what you know what this thing can do or not. Um, and again, it was trying to solve our own need. We didn't have big visions of grandeur with the thing. Um, but with Store One, um, there had been some interesting hirings that had taken place um, where we had hired some folks that were just quite, you know, very special, full of potential, and got very excited about um, building their their career. And, and, and by Store Two, what we're now category, category, categorizing our second chance hires had really taken hold. There so, were several incredible employees. That, so, Ali, you know, I, would, I would want to break in and just uh, make sure anybody who's just joining us knows that we, uh, who you are. We're, we're speaking with Ali Svensson, co-founder of Mod Pizza. Uh, you know, and the, the company has uh, taken off, uh, super fast-growing, fast, casual uh, pizza, uh, kind of do it yourself. Um, mm-hmm. uh, well, yeah. I just before we get into the hiring and the social impact, because pizza in itself, I don't see a social impact in creating pizza. No. You know, like in terms of an outcome. But um, so you've got sort of I can think of Domino's and Pizza Hut and Papa John's, you know, stuff on one end. I mm-hmm. can think of my great brick oven, you know, pizza that I'm going to sit That's down got, and I'm going to... Chef-driven. Yeah. yeah. No, goat, it, goat cheese with garlic mm, and caramelized shrimp. Pear. <laughs> and caramelized <laughs> pear, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course. And then, like, also, and then you mentioned Chipotle, so I certainly mm-hmm. I know what Chipotle is. It, you know, deconstructed burrito, I get to make it myself or put in a bowl mm-hmm. or whatever I want. Mm-hmm. But then I also sort of think of Sabaro, where it is more fast food pizza, where I can grab a slice or something like mm-hmm. that. So what mod is – am I getting a full pizza? Am I getting a little mini pizza, like personal pizza like I did yeah. when I was a little kid get, going through Book It? Yeah. Like what, what is that? Book It. Exactly. So they are. They are individual pizzas. And the thing – and again, it reminded us of the coffee phenomenon a little bit because you can get it exactly how you want. It's made for you and nobody cares if you have special requests, you know. Um, it, you can you can put anything on it. And, and one really important point with it, in 2008, um, the recession – you know, it hit, and and we had to really do some thinking on. Wait, we're going to launch a re- <laughs> restaurant concept right now. It's it seems like the the worst decision ever, but we looked at it and thought, well, hold on, maybe maybe that even adds to the opportunity because if people are going to eat out, it needs to be something that is so affordable and that makes sense. It's a great family solution, and we came up with the one price structure, which hadn't really hadn't been done before. There were no fast casual pizza operators at the time, so we were creating this thing. So the know. one the one price means uh, that I you know, I want one topping. Nick wants six, and we're paying the yeah. same price. Exactly, and so you can go through the line. It was so much fun to watch customers discover that when you could add a little bit more. We're all used to being nickel and dimed, you right? Know? And True. and we wanted people to have that wonderful feeling of no, we've got your back. We're not. You're coming in. Here's the price. It's incredibly low. Make the pizza that you want. Okay, so and wait a minute. What's the, What's the pizza actually cost? Well, it it does vary a little bit in markets, but seven something. You know, it, when we opened during the recession, the the it was five something, and always a you know a funny number at the end. So, seven eighty seven. <laughs> uh, but it's one price, and so when somebody would go through and they would say, well, "I want a little bit more chicken," they're so used to having to pay extra, especially for proteins, and then a different price right. level. And and we came up with this idea that. Things were feeling so complicated in the world, and mm. people were so unsure. We came up with a line that, you know, this is simple food for complex times. Yeah. And, and we wanted it to feel that way, that it was just good old-fashioned, simple. What is it that you're here for? We're here to help you get that. There are no strings attached. 
And, and so that was a big part of the learning for us. Right. We had to bring that to life in that first store. So, Allie, how have you, you know, somebody listening to this story is going to, uh, it would be easy for them to say, wow, you know, passionate, creative entrepreneurs, super successful with a Seattle coffee company, super successful with Mod Pizza. These people have a great knack for finding a, a niche and, and launching retail businesses. But there's more to the to the Mod Pizza story, and that mm-hmm. is, that, you know, that that you are a purpose driven company, that you are seeing a social impact, you know, through through the business. Mm-hmm. What? How do you achieve that? And and we'll come into. Let me just stick with how do you achieve that? What is the social impact of the of a pizza company? It sounds good. How do you yeah. enact that? Well, so for us, it developed early on and pretty organically, which. Um, I think is important for a bunch of reasons, but certainly for us, it was it was something that was kind of reflected back to us as we looked at what had happened by the by the, even the second store. A few of the people that we had hired really had had rough backgrounds. A couple in particular had been you know they'd been incarcerated. Their last job before Maud was washing dishes in a prison. And surprisingly to us, those guys were they had the deepest work ethic. They were so grateful for the chance to have a job and that somebody believed in them that they poured this incredible energy back into the business that was unbelievable. And when we sat down to decide at store four or maybe five, are we going to grow this thing? Because at this point, we'd learned a lot. We'd figured it out. We knew that we had something that had legs to grow. Like is that you were deciding, is this a business practice is for us? Is this a business that we want to devote the next however many years and we knew what it would take. Is this something worth doing? And we had a very, very intense conversation at that time. And we, and I said, the last thing the world needs is another pizza chain. I mean, that that is not that is not what the world needs. That's certainly not what's going to inspire us to get up and give up all the other things that we'll give up for whatever a decade or so to to do this. Um, but what we had seen happen in this, you know, in a few of these stores was we said that when, by hiring a few folks that really needed a job and needed somebody to believe in them and nobody had, and once we did and brought them in, um, what they did for the business was so inspiring to us. And what they did for those that were working around them and the type of customer service that they provided was unbelievable. And we looked at that and we said, that is what the world needs more of. I mean, if we can use this business as a platform for more of that in various communities, we will work all night long. That yeah. was very inspiring to see. So I have to say, when I was when I was reading about Mod Pizza, I was reminded of uh, Grayston Bakery. Oh, when, I love Grayston Bakery. Yeah, yes. right? You, you have yes. a similar tagline, right? Gray, yes. Grayston Bakery says, we don't, we don't hire people to make brownies. We I make know. brownies to hire people. That's right. And we make pizza so we can serve people. And it's interesting. I think more and more as we've been focused on this, the good news is I think there are various businesses out there that that are doing this. And it's great. Um, what we've realized is more should. Yeah. You know, it, we've got to get to the stage where it's not just, we were talking about it recently, we're all pretty, you know, in touch with the idea that the purpose of life is to live a life of purpose. But I think where Maud is playing right now is to say, you know, maybe the purpose of business is to be a business of purpose. Yeah. And what can you do with that business? How can you actually solve your community's problems? And and we are really, really motivated by this because we're seeing it happen with Mod, and, and we're doing everything that we can now. I mean, we've been at it for, well, nine years almost, um, 
So we've been learning a lot along the way and, and putting in, you know, things into place to help us achieve and stay focused on this on this purpose-led so, model. So, Ali, let's, let's talk for a quick moment about how, you know, can I sort of understand, I can envision uh, how you might stumble into this almost. You know, we hire these people, they turn yeah. out to be, oh, you know, look, look, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're great employees. How have you grown this practice um, is it you know is it a formal practice across two hundred stores across the country that you say hey we're you know is it about not doing background checks is mm-hmm. it uh, you know is it certain selection criteria how do you go from we want to hire people who've maybe been down on their luck and had a hard time and we know we can create a positive business how do you go from that's our intention to no 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 we actually roll this out uh, in stores across the country well and Ali just quickly. Do you franchise your model? Because that has implications for Catherine's question. How, how does that work in, in that model if you do? It does. And so I'll address both of those things. Um, we do have some, we have, um, by now, I think we have nine franchise models, incredible people that we have found around the country that, that, that buy into this, that believe in this purpose, and they want to be part of it. And in their communities, in their markets, they can help us build out mod um, better than we could have on our own. Um, we will never have more than, you know, we, we want our franchise partners to all be able to sit around one table with us. So we're, I, we may have one or two more, but we, you know, we will always be a majority company, um, company run uh, concept. Um, so, it, so it does have, you know, for us, it, it helps. They, they understand what it is that we're all trying to do. Um, on, with Catherine's question, it's something that we are spending so much time um, focusing on right now because of course the biggest issue with when you're scaling a business that is people focused and all about its culture you know you have to make sure that the culture can travel and that's a that's a that's a that's a big thing to take on and it's something that we're very concerned about at all times um what we found in the seattle market which has helped us as we go into other markets is we have found some great community partners that once we can work with so for example um we've become kind of an employer of choice for certain um, agencies or groups out here that 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 focus on and, and try to place you know people that have had a rough background for whatever reason it would be and whether it was incarceration or we've got some credible folks that work at mod that have neurological differences and and their their organization that they're part of has realized that mod is a safe place for their folks to come into because we're figuring out how to you know train and develop in a way that that works for them so um, so we are in some markets, I think, looking to develop out those partnerships sooner rather than later and, and, and want it to be that, something that's in there. But, but we've found that it does develop organically as long as we do a couple of things. Um, we, we refer to, you know, our, our whole purpose to, to make pizza so we can serve people. We call it spreading modness. Um, and we bring spreading modness to life in, in almost a campaign-like way once a year, and we have done for four years and it's a time where every single store um, partners with local community partners, non, um, nonprofits and charities in their market. And it started four years ago because we were trying to figure out what to do for the Mod birthday. It coincides with our birthday and it coincides with Thanksgiving. And we, you know, we're very intrigued with the, the science behind happiness and when what creates a you know, happy human. And this, we all know now that it's, it's really when you're giving and what that can do. And so we decided as the, the gift, what we wanted our, each of our teams to experience was, was giving. 
and um, and so they were given the chance to partner with an organization and rate a dollar for every one of their pizzas raised that week would go to the organization that they had partnered with that they had gotten to know and and so we've done this every year. And so right, last, so store employees yeah. are actually picking where are these contributions going. Yeah, yes, super and engaging. They're, and they're actually, part, they are the givers. So it's not a big, you know, it's not a corporate give. It's not Alan Scott writing a big check and handing it over. They physically, and, and over the four years, we've evolved this to, to make it as much of a giving experience as possible, you know, wanting to really help develop and th- these habits of giving because we know that what it does to our store teams, it's just awesome. And so when they're able to invite the charity into the store, um, treat them to lunch, get to know some of the folks that work there, get to know some of the clients of those organizations, and then do the, and raise the money, promote that organization to their customers, and do, they do this all week long, and then they give a, you know, a substantial check at the end of the week to their partner. And the reason I bring this up is it, it leads me to one specific example that I think um, answers your question. Um, in Houston, one of our GMs um, got to know, through a customer actually, of a school called the Monarch School, which specializes and helps um, people with neurological differences. It's an incredible organization. We didn't know anything about it. We didn't find it for Mark, our GM. He, he came across it because one of the students came in as a customer. And he, it became his partner organization for his Spreading Modness campaigns. And through that, he has now hired several folks from that school. And because his store is a training store, meaning that other mod GMs will come in and go mm, through training there, yeah. those GMs have become inspired with, uh, you know, to want to employ people that really need a great opportunity where the job would work for them and their lifestyle and their abilities. And what it has done is he's created that in his market, um, and, and it's just it's really been inspiring. We had them out recently. We had a meeting of the mods a couple of weeks ago. Where a all meeting of, GMs, of the mods. Yes. All the GMs came together, and, and, and we even had the Monarch uh, School come out to Allie, tell the I story. Allie, I'm getting a note from my producer. We should break oh. in. We had a call from <laughs> Shannon in North Carolina who works oh. in foster care and transitioning oh. folks from uh, adolescent yeah. to adulthood. Oh. Uh, and she's seen the impact of the Mod Pizza in her community. Oh, so, really? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the foster, we've been reading about foster kids. It's what a huge impact if you can uh, Im- help improve the lives of those who've gone through that system. So One of the things we've realized is when mod we and we've learned this from our second chance hires when they've come in a lot of them have said they've never felt like they were part of a family and when they've joined mod they feel like they belong now to a family fabulous Ali, thank you yeah. so much for being with us we wish you had more time for oh. for we're your have story to take a field trip we're taking a field trip to mod pizza but well, well, we're in philly look for us in philly we, we, are in philly. we yeah. will look for you in philly okay. then uh big thanks to our sound engineer danielle bruno associate producer dion simpkins producer matt johnson program director patty hall my co-host Nick Ashburn and fabulous guests and callers on the show. This is Dollars and Change. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.